1: Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on TV. Terms and restrictions apply. In today's episode of The
2: Sixers Beat, Rich and I preview The Sixers vs. Raptors first round series, going over everything from the keys to the series, the coaching matchup, and our predictions for the series. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on a Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. You know, we we took a step back. We probably both went back and rewatched all the games, and we are ready to dive into the Sixers versus Raptors first round series. How you doing, Rich?
3: I'm great, buddy. We got some juice right now. We've got some playoff basketball.
2: We do, we do, and I think we all sort of agreed. This was one of the tougher first round matchups. They could have had probably the toughest outside of Brooklyn, maybe even tougher than Brooklyn, depending on which Brooklyn shows up, but it was probably the right path for the Sixers. If you wanted them to go deep in the playoffs. Well, now we're at the day of reckoning. We are <laughs> on the doorstep of this becoming a reality and we'll find out whether or not that sort of optimism about the Sixers chances was warranted.
3: You know, pro- but by, by the way, people are very negative about this crew. Right
2: they are. Now. They are. And I think. Actually, I don't know. I don't entirely know where you stand on this. Um, I think we both acknowledge this was a tougher matchup for the Sixers. But I think we also both felt at least a couple of weeks ago that these Sixers hold a significant edge in the talent perspective. So I guess let's just start it off with what do you think are the keys to the series?
3: So I would say the keys to the series, and I agree with you that... Um, yeah, I do agree that the talent advantage, especially the top-end talent advantage, Yeah, the Sixers have – I mean, the Sixers have it. Joel Embiid is going to be the best player in the series. James Harden, if that uh, – the icy hot on the hammy he's been rubbing all week, if that's been working, he could be the second-best guy in the entire series. Tyrese Maxey could play a huge role. Even Tobias Harris is – he could stand out in this series as well. Um
2: a little more to concerned me, on the last one there, but we'll get to
3: that. Sure. Yeah. Man, you just love. You're like Tobias Caveat. Look,
2: Man. honestly, he is, he's played. Uh, his scoring's down, but his efficiency is really up here over the last couple of weeks. I like the way he's played. You I love think a Tobias this, Caveat. I think this could be a tough matchup for him, but go ahead. I'm sorry.
3: Okay. Uh, but yeah, so I, I think like, and I'll just say, because I, I have just watched the third game. I, I did watch the. The fourth game previously, but those were the two I I focused on more, the two last games because those first two games,
2: eh, slightly different team, yeah.
3: I mean, yeah. the first game was Andre Drummond getting called on a bogus goaltend, and, and Seth Curry trying to will the Sixers to a victory down the stretch. It's just it's not the same crew. No, and well, and
2: also you look
3: at the and the second one was bad too,
2: like. Fred Van Vliet and OG and Inobi have only played one game each in this series yeah. in the four game series. So, I mean, look, that's true in most matchups. Like there won't be very, if if they win and we have to diagnose the heat, like I don't even know what to make of the four games they played against the heat. Uh, but there is a lot of caveats with that four game series, which of course the Raptors took three games to one.
3: So, so I just was watching that third game, which the Sixers lost, I think it was 93, 88. It was complete Complete slugfest. It also was at an unconscionable hour of the night (laughs) on an unconscionable day of the week. An 830 Sunday game, the only Sixers game I have ever seen go up against HBO Sunday night programming. I guess the only regular season Sixers game just absolutely ridiculous. Gary Bettman jail for making that happen. By the way, sorry, I don't know if we, we talked about that already. So a little bit of a weird circumstance, and the Sixers played really well for the first quarter, and then they stopped scoring after that. Just watching that game, it just really hammered home. The, the Raptors, they, they prey on the stuff when you don't have your shit together yep. in the regular season. They just they prey on that. And the biggest one, I swear, in that game, Precious Achua, Chris Boucher, Kem Birch, even Pascal Siakam flying in from the opposite corner yeah. Scotty Barnes throw him in there too shot goes up that guy is in the opposite corner if the sixers have a guy in the opposite corner it's like Tyrese Maxey and it's get your ass back on defense because you're small and you're not going to grab any rebounds those guys are crashing three guys a lot of the time and what they did to the sixers in that third game was unbelievable. They yeah. were, for most of that game, the Sixers just did not box any of them out. They got put in bad matchups. They're bad rebounders to begin with. To me, a huge part of this is just the the extra shots battle. It's like, we, we talk about this a lot. Doc and Brett were the exact same where they look down at the, the box score when they're at the press conference after the game, and one of the first things they look at Are the shot totals for both teams. To
2: your point, that third game, the Raptors had 20 more shots than the Sixers.
3: And it's like, that's when Doc can't say make or miss league. Like we just missed shots today. No, you got your ass beat on the boards. And by the way, these boards too, they were not uh, like, sometimes I think the Sixers, they're, they're a poor rebounding team, but sometimes it's like, all right, like you're in decent position, but there's a long rebound and it, it comes off funny, all of these things. No, no, they these were flat
2: footed. Yep.
3: These were grown men like in the kind of the sweet spot of the paint, just running by the Sixers, whether that's, I mean, it was Harden a lot, you know, Harden might be the Sixers second best rebounder. I swear he did not get a body on anybody the entire game. And that's a big reason they lost the game. I, By the way, like I, some of the possessions, Scotty Barnes had Joel Embiid on him twice on a switch and he took bad threes. In that game, those aren't bad shots because if Joel Embiid is guarding him from the three point line, the Raptors were going to get the rebound regardless of where it went. So, uh, those are the big things. That and the turnovers, which are the two things that lead to the shot totals. If the Sixers have their shit together in terms of those two areas, I, I think they're going to be tough to beat in this series. But they're uh, specifically on the boards, they're bad in those areas. And the Raptors are really good in those areas. So, I don't think it's just as simple as, oh, it's the playoffs, like flip the switch, pay more attention. It's easier. There's a little bit of that, but I don't think it's automatic for sure.
2: Yeah. To your point, the Raptors are the number one team in the league enforcing turnovers on 16.4% of the opponent's possessions. They are the number two offensive rebounding team in the league. Now the Sixers somehow are a decent defensive rebounding team by the numbers.
0: It yeah, wasn't it any like- of
2: the games that I watched and I watched all 82 <laughs> multiple times. But they have it. They're they're like right about mid pack. That's the part that concerns me the most. Taking care of the ball, they're actually a pretty good team taking care of the ball. But they do seem to revert to bad habits against the Raptors. The Raptors are very good at drawing you into that. And their scheme, I mean, in terms of first forcing turnovers, the Raptors are number one this year, number one last year, number two the previous year. They build their team around these big, long, rangy, mobile, athletic forwards, and they just cause. Hell, I think Joel Embiid called it reckless earlier today, but it's sort of like a control... I I think reckless might have been the wrong word because it's a controlled reckless. Um, They're very much in control when they do it and they know what they can recover back to. So that, to me, is the two keys by far, Um, and it comes down to that turnover battle. And then also trying to get, you know, if you're going to sell out to control the glass or at least not get destroyed on the glass, which I think they should, find a way to get a little bit of a transition game. Don't completely lose that... I think they're going to have to a lot to get that rebounding under control, but find a way to push the pace when you can get some cheap buckets. If you can hold the Raptors to a half court game, they're not a great half court offense. Now, granted they have a lot like there's, they don't have necessarily a go-to, although Pascal was playing pretty well towards the end of the year. He was averaging 27 per game over the last 20 games, pretty much since the beginning of March. So he's playing better, but they don't have that dynamic unguardable score that you worry about. They've got a lot of guys who can take you off the dribble and they're pretty good at finding the mismatch. And the Sixers certainly are not good at preventing dribble penetration, which is part of their rebounding problem. But the Raptors aren't a team that just terrifies you in the half court. You've got to confine them to a half court, confine them to one shot. And I agree with you. If the Sixers can do that, I think they'll be pretty tough to beat.
3: To your point on the transition, the Raptors have pulled the weird double where they're, they're the bizarro Sixers in that, they're a great offensive rebounding team, and you would think, okay, there's a there's a trade off, just like there's a trade off to everything. They're awesome at limiting transition as well. They're which just is
2: so athletic.
3: Bizarre, yeah. But here's the thing, like, and you saw it in a couple of the games the Sixers played in. And, and look, the Sixers are not a big transition team. They're they're just not. That's not their identity. Maxi, thibole a little bit, maybe Harris once in a while, but but Harden and Embiid. Yeah, they, they can push it, but they don't really want to. That's not their, their best thing. And against this team, you do have to look for easy buckets because here's the thing. If they sell out with three guys and you make a contested rebound and you make a quick pass to Tyrese Maxey or James Harden, you have numbers. You just do. And I don't know. I don't know if they'll be able to uh, to do that. Like you said, too, that their defense is part of the reason they force turnovers, too. They're so long. They also help. More yeah. like the the way they help is unorthodox. They they basically have one foot in the paint. They do not really care if you swing the ball to the corner and the guy's got half a second to take a shot. I haven't looked at it this year, but I, I do remember in past years they had one of the best defenses in the league, despite giving up a bunch of corner threes, which is a little counter to how that has run. And and you could see it like Harden will have the ball on the wing. Shake Milton if he has a quick catch and shoot, like it's they're not denying that pass. It's an easy corner three and i do think the sixers also need to like you said too that it's a controlled recklessness but there are easy buckets to be had when a team plays like that and the sixers at times have found those easy buckets they just need to do it for 48 minutes for seven games they need to do it more consistently than they have honestly i thought they did a good job of it in that last game for the most part they just couldn't get a stop on the other end of the court um yeah so those are the general keys like I just think from a traditional playoff standpoint, Sixers have more talent. They they just, and Harden in the half court, even Harden in his diminished state, they should be able to get better shots than Toronto.
2: Yep. They should. To your point, Toronto
3: gives up the most
2: corner three-pointers in a league Yeah, 13% of the opponent's shots. Seems like it. Last year, they gave up the third most, and the previous year, uh, 2019-20, they gave up the most again. It is part of their scheme. It is what they're willing to concede to it's not because I'm sure they think, oh, well, corner threes are overrated. It's because they have so much length. You want to maximize, take advantage of that length. You best do that by helping when you can. But yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think over the course of a seven game series with Joel Embiid at this point in his career, and I think that's probably important, and James Harden and what he can bring, I do, you know, I've gone back and forth. We won't get to predictions now. But I just think that at some point Embiid is too skilled and too talented and too smart, and James Harden is too skilled and too talented and too smart. I think they will find a way, and as long as they don't completely barf all over themselves, turning the ball over, as long as they move the ball and don't get you know sort of goaded into that ISO game, and as long as they don't get completely and as, as I'm saying this, I'm sort of talking my, myself into it being a long series, as long as yeah. they don't get completely destroyed on the offensive glass they should be able to outclass this team. I, I do firmly believe that even without not, with not having Matisse Thybul, who by the way, would be given a lot of those corner open three pointers, even without Matisse Thybul for three of the seven games.
3: And that's why I do think, it, I do think it's going to be a long series because we are saying it's like these fundamental things, yeah. these hustle things, but the Raptors are really good at them and the Sixers are bad at some of yep. them. So it's, you know, and there's going to be about- one
2: point in the series. Where we're going to be like, Oh my God, they have, every athletic wing on the floor.
3: They have more athletes. How yeah. the
2: hell did the Sixers build this team? But you built it because of Johol Beat.
3: I think there's, there's going to be one game like that where the, the Raptors, their length is just completely overwhelming and their athleticism. I also think there might be a game. There might be two games where the Raptors just can't shoot. And it's like the Sixers, they, they could bring us out there and just tell us to play off somebody. Unless, unless precious Achua continues to shoot a thousand percent against them. But, I you know I, I look at Chris Boucher's percentages against other teams maybe he can keep it up, <laughs> but I I don't know I I don't think that'll quite hold up in this. He's uh, having this series. one
2: game where he makes five threes. You know it. You know sure. It. I
3: mean he's he's the new Baines. He's the new yes. Man Bun.
0: Yes.
3: But yeah, so I I do think uh it's going to be a hard to let's talk about Embiid.
0: Uh
2: yeah I mean look Joel Embiid has had his ups and downs against his team. Over the three games, he averaged 29 points, shot 47% from the field, got the line 12 times per night, only turned it over 2.7 times. The overall aggregate numbers are pretty good. But, but like to s- be
3: fair, to be fair, the one game that he completely went off was when they didn't have a lot of their guys. Yeah,
2: you'd like to see, and I thought he uh, this was good on him to bring it up. You'd like to see the turn or the assist numbers up a little bit more, and sometimes that comes down to other players just weren't making shots. But I, I do think one of the keys for him, and like I said, he spoke to this earlier today, is recognizing the double team swinging around having confidence in his, his teammates around him. I think that is going to be a key for the series. But I also think he's going to have a lot of mismatches. And once they figure out where that double team is coming from and how to rotate help over there, I think he's going to be... I, 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 he said, I'm not going out there looking to average 40. He's going to have a game or two where I think he's going to drop 40 and be completely unguardable. He is the one reason... You know, I, I think I've said this on the radio a couple of times. If I look at this, and I just say from a pure talent perspective, Sixers should have a 75-80% chance of winning the series. Like, they're pretty far head and shoulders above the Raptors. But when you start looking at strengths and weaknesses, scheme, coaching, things of that sort, it starts, that gap closes. And it might be now, I think, they have a 55-60% chance of winning the series. The one thing I always go back to is Joel Embiid is just so good and so talented. I think he's going to figure this team out. I don't think Nick Nurse is going to have the success that he had in previous years. And I think he's going to find a way over the course of seven games.
3: And and let's not just stick to the the X and O part of this. Although I do have some, some points to piggyback on what you said. Joel Embiid should be as motivated as he ever has been. Because... Look, I don't think this has been his fault. I think we've talked ad nauseum how they've done just a horrific job building around him. And again, this year, I mean, it's like a clown car bench right now. It's it's like the the backup center situation, it's it's Greg Monroe all over again. So, in some ways you, you just understand that what why he's lost series, I would say even last year against the Hawks, like he gets a lot of crap for, and he did have some bad performances when he the you know, turnovers 100%. the one second half, the turnovers. Uh, he also got hurt in that series as well, and that or in the series before. So he was coming off that. Hopefully, he can stay healthy, so that's not an excuse anymore. At some point, he's got to start winning these coin flip series when he's the best player on the team. Yeah. And we talked about the path that they have. They have a real path to make the conference finals here. I, I think the three hardest teams, I, again, I have no idea what to make of Brooklyn. I mean, Do you hear this baloney about Ben coming back in the
2: game four or five or whatever it was? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'll believe that way through that. a series.
3: Yeah. I'm sure that'll, that'll go smoothly. He's
2: got lots of swag though, rich. He's got lots of swag.
3: I did. I did see that. Well, that's good. Um,
2: what a strange I, report. Anyway, we don't, we, we thank heavens. We don't have to talk about Ben Simmons more than we want to.
3: We can just throw a passing dig like yes. I just did. I yes. That's good.
2: Passing the other, dig sort of like uh is gonna do a lot
3: of. I'm sorry. sure. The other teams that, that are the hardest teams in the in the bracket are on the other side yeah. of it. You only got to beat one of them. So And by the way, I, I think it's very clear that he's going to lose the NBA, uh lose the MVP at this
2: 100%. point. 100%. He's got almost no shot.
3: He knows that. He's frustrated by that, and we talked about this last step. I'm not here to bury Jokic or Giannis, Jokic specifically, because he's going to win. But if you want the the narrative to change, here is what's in your control. If if yep. you win three playoff series, there's probably going to be a lot of people being there's probably a lot of people who are going to say, "Oh, how the hell did Joel Embiid not win the MVP award?" That's yep. just how this works. That is how our Basketball conversations work. So he should have all the motivation in the world.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. A hundred percent. Um, I think he, you know, I think he's in a, you know, you go back three years when they lost that series to Toronto and he was, you know, he had, he was injured. He had the knee problem. He had the, um, he was sick for a little while there. He's in knock on wood. He's in pretty good health right now. He's playing at the top of his game he should be in a prime position. He's got more spacing around him than he ever has. I think he's going to have, even though I think Nick is especially
3: going to have a lot of spacing in Toronto. Yeah,
2: Yeah. it is. I mean, we said this last podcast, if there was one team to miss Matisse, Leibel on it would probably be this team. I think he's going to have a lot of, I I just, I I have a relative, even though Toronto has had so much success against Embiid, I think he's going to have a lot of success. So let's go ahead and flip over to the other guy.
3: Wait, wait, real quick on Embiid, yep. the, the last thing. I agree with you talking about the post ups because Embiid has talked with, uh, I would say not not reverence, like amusement, maybe because you mentioned how he used the word reckless. He's not going to full out give every anybody like credit who's playing against him, but he has talked for years about how Nick Nurse and Toronto they play him differently than everybody, and he did say today that they made him a better player. I do think and it's it's funny that they made him go to the perimeter and find other ways to score instead of just being a post-up player. With the way their personnel is now though, this feels like a bully ball series to me. This yeah. feels like a pick and roll and a post-up series, in part because he's just bigger than everybody, and I think he's good enough to exploit those passing lanes. Yep. So it's kind of it's it's a little bit of a weird road how we got here, but I do think like this is a, a get your butt in the post series because I I just think he's going to overwhelm a lot of these guys physically.
2: No, if he can get deep post catches, he should just completely go off. And to your point, like when you rotate as as frequently and as aggressively as Toronto does, if the other team figures it out, you should be getting high quality looks whenever they don't get a steal. Uh, I think I think he's going to have success.
3: The other the other part of that too is... I feel like every time should...
2: I try to transition, you have... A, and one more, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's a podcast. Yeah. It's what we're here. We're here to talk basketball. I like talking about Joel and D. man. <laughs>
3: The other thing they do is they guard him, obviously, with smaller players. I-, I think that hurts on his isolations. Usually when he's facing up a guy at the free throw line, that has been such a massive part of his development this year. Usually it's a bigger guy. He's slower than him, tries to give him a little bit of cushion. These guys are all 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, they get up and into yeah. his body where... I think a slow, deliberate ISO doesn't work against this team as much in part because they always have the help coming as well if yeah. he tries to go around them. So that's a little bit why I think it's going to be a bully ball series. But I think in general, I am confident in Joel that he's going to figure this out at some point.
2: How about your confidence in the other guy?
3: Whew. Okay, not not as high on that one. I mean, everything's hunky-dory now. He said that he's he's back. He's, uh, what do he say? He's doing sprints now? Yeah. Like, that's a... Uh, Do do sprints cure the hamstring completely? I don't know exactly how that works. Doing some weight training earlier today on it. Yep. Look, that's the biggest question for the entire playoffs. Is this guy, was was he saving an extra gear? Can he regain some of that health? Can this mini training camp they're playing, what's it, a six-day rest, can that rejuvenate him even a little bit like the 30-day rest before the era during the trade and when he played in Minnesota, like when he was... Pretty much shot out of a cannon for that first week. Can he replicate that? I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine.
2: Yeah. I do think... I Look, if the hamstring is a part of the factor of what's going on, I think the rest will help. And I think there's a pretty good chance that the hamstring is at least a little bit at play. So I think you could see him come out in the first couple of games, look a little better off the dribble a little quicker out of his cuts and his breaks. That's a I huge deal, though. That's a huge that. deal. I don't know how long that's going to last, but that but uh, for this even series a couple games, that would be a huge monumental deal, because I do think if you look at at the Raptors compared to some other teams, Milwaukee's coming immediately to mind, even Brooklyn, even though he looked terrible against Brooklyn, Brooklyn, theoretically, I think he should look pretty good against Milwaukee. I think you could see flashes of the old James Harden. This one I have a little bit more skepticism about, just because they're so long, they have so many defenders, they can switch so much stuff and just dare him to beat him off the dribble. And I do have my concerns about that. And I do, I, you know, I feel like we talk a lot about, wow, James Harden just doesn't look the same athletically. And look, in, in two games with the Sixers against the Raptors, he has shot 33% from the field. averaged 15 points per game, four and a half turnovers. He did average 11 and a half assists, but he has not been you know, the high usage, only getting the free throw line. I mean, he still gets the free throw line eight times per game. Um, but he has not been a very efficient version of James Harden. But every time I look up at the freaking starting lineup, I mean, you're talking about the starting lineup with Matisse and after the James Harden trade, it's like a plus 20. And you look at even the starting lineup with Danny Green, which do you assume they're going to start Danny Green for all seven? Yeah. Yeah, I, I do too. I don't think Doc wants to be changing the starting lineup every time they change location. That's a plus seven in a much smaller sample size. And it's just, I feel like I'm, (sighs) I feel like I should trust those numbers a little bit more than I do. But I do think when you start ramping up against some of these better defenses, I just worry a little bit. And I think this is probably the one that I worry the most, not the most, but of the first round matchups, I think this is probably the one that I would worry the most.
3: Yeah. Oh, for sure. I, I think these guys in Boston are the two yeah. Eastern Conference teams that were. Boston would be hard.
2: A little bit Miami too. All of Miami at least has exploitable. Uh, for as good of a defense as they are, they have exploitable defense.
3: You go play Tyler Hero. Yeah, that's yeah. the. Uh, that's the thing, and I also think Toronto. Their two guards, come on. It's like come on, Harden. You, you can't get by Gary Trent. You can't just bully him to the basket. Fred Van Vliet is a good pesky defender too, but a, a lot of the stuff he does that's great is off the ball. I, I, he's not a bad off the ball defender, on ball defender either. He's just small. You should be able yeah. to take him. I. That's part of it. I also think they have, you know, some of these big guys too. Like they they really attacked Thad young in a couple of those games as well. I think they identified him as, and I, I think that makes sense. That is a, you know, we, we know that he's a a good defender. He, he makes some good rotations off the ball. Certainly a helpful player. He's not... He's a little bit upright for... uh, Even though it's... By the way, when Thad started, it's so crazy that he was a small forward.
2: Yeah. League
3: has changed a little bit. He's a a center now. Although I guess maybe he is a small forward because they play four centers off their bench. But whatever. He functions like that. So he's going to have to... I, I do think they need to be a little more purposeful in picking on some of these smaller guys. And the other part of this too is with Harden and Embiid, when they run that pick and roll together, they need to be way more purposeful in getting into that early. If you switch it, great. Embiid post up right away. Yep. Even if you have to swing
2: the ball a couple times to get Embiid the right entry angle, um, you've got to get him a deep catch for sure.
3: If that's Scotty Barnes on Embiid, I think Scotty Barnes is wonderful. And I think Toronto should be thrilled to have him. Like to be bad for one year, get lucky in the lottery and get that guy. The most Toronto Raptor player I've ever seen. Exactly. He's going to be amazing and he fits your brand perfectly as well. Joe should roast him. He should.
2: Yeah, 100%. 100%. Um Yeah, I it, like you said there should be a couple of, of players Harding can pick on. I do worry it it's just it did not look good a couple of times no. he played them and it's not looked good against a couple of the more switchable teams lately. I hope I'm not I hope quite frankly I'm overreacting to that. Um, and quite honestly, you could probably win this series without James Harden looking even remotely like old James Harden. You just need him instead of shooting 33%, like give him 42, give him a decently average 18 and 10 or whatever. Um, and I think they have enough horses to win this because I do think Tyrese Maxi's is going to have some success. I think Oh yeah. Uh, that might be the end of my confidence list, but I think though, I think Embiid and Maxie should have a decent amount of success. If you can get just a little bit from James Harden as a scorer, I think they will have enough to beat the Raptors as long as they don't barf all over themselves in terms of turnovers and rebounding. Um, But you do need a little bit more. Like, he he shot like 13% from three, too. Like, he just did not. And I think part of that is he went through such a weird shooting slump that I don't know all of that is related to what we can expect.
3: But... It feels like he takes two different types of step backs. There's the one where he has the matchup he wants and he gets a ton of separation on it. And it's like, it's still a really hard shot. He could still easily miss those, but you look at it and you say, okay, that's a pretty good look. And then there are the ones where he's not creating a lot of separation and it's kind of his last option. And yeah, he could still create the separation. I mean, he's not creating a lot of separation going by anybody. He could still create enough separation on the step back to get it off. But even those are, are pretty well contested. And, you know, you saw that against, like, Precious Achua, who yeah. blocked, his, blocked his shot like it was nothing in that uh, in that game. Yeah, it's it's a huge deal. But I, I do wonder, though, if – because this is going to be a hard series. I do wonder if the Raptors are getting a little bit unlucky here, where Harden in round three might be somebody you want to see if he is worn down and the hamstring yeah. is that big of an issue. I agree. If he goes nuts for two games and the Sixers are up 2-0, well, probably gonna win the series, unfortunately, Toronto. So yeah, it's uh it's a huge deal. And I, I agree with you. Like it's it's a big numbers versus eye test thing. It's it, you look at the the lineup numbers, the the four man like you said, the four man crew of Harden Embiid, Maxie Harris, they're just killing teams. They're 99th percentile, and I don't know what to make of that come playoff time because they're gonna be tested against better teams. But look, I, It's not like they had an easy schedule to close out the season. Like a lot of no. those minutes came
2: against pretty good teams. Yeah.
3: So they I don't know, that that feels like that's gonna be good. I mean, I think like you said, Maxie, who he's probably gonna be guarded by some of the worst players. I so I I look at somebody like Danny Green, too. That could be a guy that, you know, if Gary Trent is on him, there could be a lot of hardened Danny Green pick and roll, and Danny Green Wide the hell open from the top of the key. Danny Green, can you make enough shots to uh, to hurt your old team? He, he might have made too many in that last game. You got to save him up, Danny. No,
2: Danny Green and, and George Yang should be open pretty much all series. Um, George, I, George's key is, is going to be rebounding. Um, I have significant concerns there that yep. he can contribute enough on the glass to, and quite frankly, just defensively to be a positive overall, but he should have a a ton of open threes and Danny too. And Danny, you're obviously going to need in a big way. If he's going to start, I don't expect Danny to be playing 35 minutes or anything like that. Oh, well, a couple of those Toronto games. He might, he might.
3: Uh, and that's, that's a little a scary. Yeah. That's the worst part of the Batiste absence is that you're forcing these older players. I mean, Niang and Danny who
2: Niang's not old, by the way, he just moves like it.
3: Yeah. That's <laughs> jeez.
2: That's
3: a, <laughs> You know what I mean. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yep. He he's not. He, he, there is a diminishing return with him on high minutes for sure.
3: And, and that's something that Doc has said all year. Like even when Niang was making every three, he took he said that he didn't like to play him high minutes. But let's be fair. Calling him old while matching him in the same breath as Danny Green that's that's probably not fair to no, me. No, look,
2: he starts losing legs when you play him more. It, I a hundred percent understood what you meant.
3: 100%. Yeah. Yeah, and the rebounding is is a big issue. And so, so let, let let me talk. Let's talk about the rebounding. Let's shift over to the defense a little bit. I mean, we could be like, "Hey, it'd be cool if Maxi does the thing where he scores ten points in two minutes." I I'm sure he will do it a couple UV times. He is but cool. Yep. Yeah, it's very cool. I mean, he's one of the cooler players in the league, I would say. Defense. So let's start with this Siakam huge game in that uh, in that final final game of the season yep. game game eighty of the season, I believe. How do you think they go about guarding him?
2: I mean, Toronto so Toronto's starting lineup is very, very small. I mean, all their lineups are small. They don't really have do they have anyone over six nine on the roster?
3: That's that's a good question. Do you think that they're going to start their now that they have everybody available, their
2: Van Vliet, Trent Jr., Barnes, Aninobi, and Siakam?
3: Yeah, do you think they go with that? That is man. That is
2: What do you think they, they press a Sachua in there?
3: Yeah, I wonder if they they bring Andy Noby off the bench just because he's been hurt, or or they bring Barnes off the bench. You know, he's a rookie; like he certainly seems like a guy who is is very team first. That has wonder, been
2: the starting five though that they've gone with when they've been healthy for the most part.
3: Yeah, definitely. But they're they're playing against Joel Embiid. Right? I know.
2: I understand that. I Understand that.
3: And um, and I wonder, you know, Achua has played well against the Sixers, but does Nick Nurse counter what I'm saying by being like, "All right, it's not that big of a difference." Yeah.
2: Yep. Um, no, I think there's probably a decent chance that Shua, uh starts. I think there's probably a decent chance. Where were we going before that? I forget what I was...
3: Who guards Siakam? How oh. do they guard Siakam?
2: I mean, I think it, I think it, it probably is Joel. I don't know if it's going to be Joel for every possession, but like I could see Joel being the most prominent defender on Siakam. But then again, Siakam is a better player than what worked three years ago. Like You can't completely abandon him above the break like the Sixers did a couple, I forget. He had like crazy shooting splits from the corners and above the break. Um, they
3: were insane.
2: It was like forty percent to like seventeen percent. Or I'm not making this up off the top of my head, but it, it was something absurdly.
3: They were so insane. By the way, that Joel, after the first game, they made the switch. Game two, he's like,
2: "Yeah, he doesn't make threes yeah. unless
3: he's in the corner,"
2: and it it still worked for the next <laughs> six games after that. Yeah. they they just completely told the game plan out loud, and yeah, it didn't it, it Still worked. He's gotten better of, above the break, so it's not quite as easy. But then again, I have a lot of confidence in Joel Embiid, being able to track him. But then again, Toronto is good enough beating people off the dribble that if you don't have Joel Embiid... But then again, it's not like there's anyone on a starting lineup that you're going to be able to just hide Joel Embiid under the basket. Anyway, um, unless Chua isn't there, and even Chua can make it free. Um, but yeah, I think you could see, especially if Siakam gets going, you, I, I think you'll see Joel on him a little bit. It's tough, though. It is tough.
3: I wonder how much Joel influences Siakam's playmaking game, which yeah. is much improved. Yep. He's a very he's a very good passer if the defense collapses. Not obviously not nearly on the same level, but not in a dissimilar way to Giannis, where you know he can make these straight line drives and Siakam, they're not straight line drives. He's got little little wiggle going on, but more or less. And he's you know he's pretty good at, at driving and kicking for threes. That's a, a big source of their offense. So, yeah, I think they're probably going to start Tobias on him. Yeah, but, I agree. And I honestly think like there might be a game or two where Tobias does a decent job against him, but Siakam is just really tough. He's just really slippery. Even if you're in good position, he's got the footwork and the and the wiggle to just do a spin move and get a good cha- shot against you. I'll tell you one matchup you don't want. George Niang did okay against Giannis a couple times because Giannis it's it's all about strength for the most part. If you beat him the spot, you do not want him moving side to side with Pascal Siakam. No. <laughs> that is that's not good. Well, and the other issue though is that if George can't like play spot minutes, the next person to guard Siakam is Harden. Yeah, there's not. <laughs> Dana, not- besides besides, jo- besides Joel, of course. Yeah. So, no, yeah, it's going to be
2: a lot of, of Tobias and Joel. Yeah. So
3: I, I agree with you. And yeah, it's, you know, Siakam, he did make a couple of those long twos and he's a better long two shooter than he, he has been. But I do think if Joel can still cut off the uh, cut off the easy stuff at the rim, you might live with that. And, and if you let him play him one-on-one, you just, I think you worry about foul trouble. You worry about wearing Joel down. That's, to me, that's a, a decent side. That's the main concern of Toronto in the half court.
2: Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, Siakam. All right. He's not shooting all that well on non-corner. Oh, what am I? Nope. I'm on frequency. There we go. Non-corner threes. Uh, Okay. 32% on non-corner, 48% on corner. So, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Not as bad as it, not as... Like I said, a couple of years ago, that was very drastic. He was shooting 20% on non-corner threes. Um, it's gotten better. Still not great. Still not to the point where I would worry too much about putting Joel on him. But this is a very small team where you can, like, Joel's going to have to guard a shooter pretty much all the time.
3: I agree. Anybody else concern you?
2: Yeah. The eight minutes that Joel and Pete can't play.
3: Okay, well, I was going to get there. I just met the specific (laughs) players. All right, fine. Because you brought it up, let's make this transition very slow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
2: I guess we're at that part of the podcast now. Um, We are. Look, it's funny because the last couple of days have been all about b-ball Paul. And I don't even consider you and I on like the super pro b-ball Paul portion of either the reporters or on Sixers Twitter. We're just very much on the anti-DeAndre Jordan portion of reporters and Sixers Twitter. Driving that bus. You've been driving it from before he was signed. And you're at a point now where Doc has admitted, very loudly, Doc has admitted (laughs) that he can't play. (laughs) (laughs) You won't know what Rich is laughing at, and that's fine. Doc has admitted very loudly that B-Ball Paul will play against more mobile big men. Well, you're at it in a series right now where all Toronto has is perimeter oriented or mobile big men. And B-Ball Paul has played about three high leverage minutes all year. And I think this is a series that I don't think DeAndre Jordan can really step foot on the court. Again, you and I aren't necessarily pro B-Ball Paul or have a lot of confidence in B-Ball Paul right now. We're a little more on the Bassy camp, but Bassey has an injured shoulder and has played even fewer high leverage minutes. Yep. B-Ball Paul's in a real tough spot because they need his skill set. They need his defensive chaos. They need him to not be chaos offensively. And I don't know that I fully buy into him in part because I don't trust while Paul's decision making all the time, but in part because I just haven't seen him play very many minutes in a, a regular rotation against good teams to make any kind of judgment. And I do think and look, Dockers will make the argument that the reason Paul Reed is now ready is because they didn't throw him in too soon. I don't know that I buy that. I would have loved to have seen a little more from him over the last couple of months because it was clear to me the moment that Deandre Jordan was signed, This isn't going to work. You need to develop and and get comfortable with a plan B. And up until the last three games of the season, Doc never went to a plan B, and I worry about that a lot.
3: I think the argument that he made that Paul needed to get better at rotations and all the little things, I think that holds more water when you look at his entire two years.
2: Yes, 100% that that but not the last 6 weeks when you knew this old slow statue couldn't play in the playoffs
3: and like you said the last 6 weeks when he had already had almost 2 seasons of seasoning both in the G League and you know his spot appearances with the Sixers i think he knew what to do 6 weeks ago as well and like you said I mean, obviously, the Sixers' backup center was a crisis last year with Dwight because of Ben as well. They knew that their backup center position, they should have known, that it was a full-on crisis. And, yeah, I am not a crazy big B-ball Paul guy as the, as an impact. I just haven't seen enough of him. I am certainly a pro B-ball Paul agent of chaos guy. I really enjoy him when he's good. It's just a two-way agent of chaos. Well, I, and, and look, I think if he plays 10 minutes a game in this series, there's a chance he fouls out once or twice yes. in, in seven games, yep. but that's all they need. And really the fouls, <laughs> I will say when Doc gets asked about that, he's like, yeah, I mean, that's part of it. Like that's part of the experience. And I, And I will give him some level of credit for that, but he's got to play. He's just got to play it bad somewhat. I mean, look, DeAndre Jordan made
2: his Sixers debut on March 7th over that time until again, until the last three games of the season, he played in 15 out of 16 games. The only game he didn't play was against Milwaukee. And instead they played Paul Millsap in that role. So that's 16 games you had to try to develop a backup plan. when it was clear, it was clear to anyone who watched Lakers, DeAndre Jordan wasn't going to work in the playoffs, especially against matchups like Toronto. I would push back on, you know, Doc Rivers said that against big, big men, which you look through the playoffs. I don't really know who that is, but like.
3: No, there there are none, honestly, not in the East. Greg Ostertag
2: ain't walking through that door.
3: Milwaukee is the one team. But again, you played small and I think, Rightfully so. But is going to bomb threes on you.
2: Oh, and Giannis is going to be their backup center. So uh, it's just, it's staggering that they didn't prepare for this. Really bad. All. And I agree with you, like the development for Paul Reed, the last six weeks in the G League isn't, I don't think, the reason that he is now ready for a role. I don't even know that he is ready for a role. I just know DeAndre Jordan ain't. And not only is DeAndre Jordan slow, not only is his effort atrocious at times awful but he makes the same mistakes that freaking b-ball paul makes which is infuriating because he's 32 or 33 just because b-ball paul might not be ready does not mean deandre jordan was ever in any sense of the word a viable solution and look honestly i've tried not to talk about the whole exchange that I had with Doc Rivers because I think some people think it's a little like they probably think I'm criticizing Doc because he reacted to me this way. And it's not. If you go back to anything we've said or written or tweeted since then, the reason you even go back to the question I let it off with, given how much DeAndre has struggled, this is very much DeAndre was never going to be viable in this series. What are we doing here? (laughs) And I tried to phrase it a little better than that, but that's really what I was asking. Uh, I think they were way, 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 way too slow on the uptake there. I guess give Doc credit that he changed in the last three games. But, but not but, really. No, not because really. by that point you were playing slop competition and you well, couldn't have a chance to even really evaluate him.
3: And that was why it was so ridiculous that he starts with, like Paul Reed got brought up. I, for, I think Austin Crowley asked a question about him. Not going to have a Paul Reed victory tour. Not going to have a victory tour. We're trying to win a world championship. Just a ridiculous thing to say because you, you just gotta be more diplomatic than that. Just give the guy credit. But it's his, his gen- career night, the highest point of his
2: professional career, there were a million ways to respond to that without fucking shitting on the
3: guy. Unbelievable! It was, oh, it was so bad. Okay. Now that said, his general point, which I think he's he's thinking inside his head, if I'm playing amateur psychologist on. Doc here. Did you look at those fucking teams we just played? That's not going to be the same thing as the playoffs, and I actually agree with that. But here's the thing: DeAndre Jordan can
2: look good against those teams. DeAndre can't.
3: (laughs) DeAndre Jordan ain't it. And by the way, you're right. DeAndre Jordan in that game against the uh, against Pistons looked
0: awful, awful.
2: Yes.
3: So what are we doing here? We can talk about Paul Reed's mistakes and his just frenetic. It's so crazy that he's so frenetic on the court, and then when you hear him give an interview, he's like, yeah, it was cool. Yeah.
2: I think a lot of that is he is very nervous in the interview still as well. Yep. Um, look. But I
3: dig that. I dig that as well. The whole the whole B-Ball Paul vibe I'm a big fan of. And I no, I, I don't know if it's going to work. I also wonder if like Harden is up to it. I wonder how they're going to stagger this if... I would really consider going with Maxi in those minutes yep, and just t- turning him loose and saying, hey, you won us like five games this year when Embiid didn't play. When you were just getting your getting your butt downhill the entire game with a spread court, can you do that for five minutes a half? Yep. I, I, I mean, the numbers, at least the recent numbers, with him and the backup units, they're better with him than with Harden, so... And and also too, I would add that I think Harden has a more natural chemistry with Embiid too. So it seems like something I would at least look into. I I understand yep. why they started with Harden and Embiid staggered. You want to?
2: Oh no, my 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 first take, my first opinion was you got to stagger these two, keep one at the floor at all times. I think I'm with you. I, I I've altered that assessment.
3: No, but hey, look, if Harden is playing great basketball and he's he's healthier to start then fine then then roll with him but i do think there could be an adjustment that needs to be made there that's that's an important thing but it's less of a less of a pressing issue than you better not play deandre jordan you better not play deandre jordan
1: this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more.
2: Gun to your head. Who plays? I don't know why I'm pointing a gun at your head, Ugh, but we'll God. go with that phrase. Who plays more minutes, Paul Reed or DeAndre Jordan? In the playoffs or in or this, this series? series? In this series, Paul Reed. I think I'm going DeAndre. <laughs> I, th- I think DeAndre. Or I think Paul Reed makes a couple of mistakes, and I think Doc's going to go back to his gut instinct, which is DeAndre Man, Jordan.
3: That's well, that's completely fireable because DeAndre Jordan's just going to make the same mistakes. So I, I agree. I agree. Well, so here's what my here, here is my prediction for that. Although, I mean, man, when you get into Toronto, you're just looking at who the the bodies are. If you do this, I think they go with Paul Reed, and then they go small. I think,
2: is, is I think they go Paul Reed first. I agree with that. I agree with that. But boy, are they going to destroy you on the defensive glass if you go too small?
3: It's, it's unbelievable. It's uh. Yeah, I I guess that's
2: George Yang. Better fucking rebound the ball. Like they need him in a big way. Him, Tobias. Like they need those those you know
3: secondary and tertiary. They need Matisse in a game in Philly to like grab like six rebounds, please. Yeah. Tell him, hey, you have two games off because of you. So, (laughs) I I guess that's the last thing we'll touch on. And and I I do think it's a. uh, It's sometimes it's hard because people will just say, "Oh." Doc's going to get coached off the floor by Nick Nurse. And you actually have to wait until the series happens to point to the things that you see, like the rotations, all of those things. But yeah, that's that's the general feeling from a lot of people. And I, I think a lot of people, what they're thinking is that Nick Nurse... But you have a top
2: 15 coach of all time, Rich.
3: I know. But the, the, <laughs> the issue is the top 15 coach of all time kind of believes in doing the same thing over well, and over again. They're playing against a guy who tries the craziest shit you will ever see. I think they have the talent to overcome that, but man, the Sixers better be really good at executing what they're, uh, what they're about to do. Let's put it this way. A lot of pressure on doc this series. Yeah, there is hundred
2: percent because this is a series I think, and I think we're probably about to get to that. This is a series where it's not crazy that the Raptors could win it. I'm not going to, I'm, I'm, I guess I'll get it out there. I'm going to pick the Sixers to win the series, but I could certainly see a scenario playing out where they lose it. And if you end up losing to the Atlanta Hawks and the 48 win Toronto Raptors during two years where you have Joel Embiid playing at MVP level, that would be real bad. There is a lot of pressure on Doc, especially because he wants to compare himself to pop all the time. There is a lot of pressure on Doc Rivers. A lot of pressure on James Harden. There's pressure on Joel Embiid. There's pressure on everyone. But there is a lot of pressure on Doc Rivers for sure.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think he's back if he loses this series.
2: First round would be tough. First round would be tough.
3: It, it's hard to put it because, like we saw with the Brett Brown thing a couple of years ago, to put a a round on if the person is back, these things are fluid. Like the Sixers tried. To to replace Brett Brown, I didn't see any better options that year, and they had a, a pretty good series. Brett did a nice job coaching against
2: Dignar, so Probably the so. highlight of uh, Brett Brown's coaching career.
3: Yep. So it's it's hard to put a specific round on, but but I, I do think, man, if they lose to Toronto after losing to Atlanta last year, man.
2: it'd be tough. Um. All right, so I guess let's pivot to that a little bit. What is your overall prediction and why?
3: So I think a lot of this time we talked about the reasons the Sixers should win, like their advantages that they have, which are are fairly obvious. I don't want to give the short shrift to the Toronto advantages, which seem like hustle things. They seem like things the Sixers should be able to clean up with coaching and just like not being in the regular season anymore. Uh, I think there's going to be a couple of games where the Sixers just get absolutely killed on the glass. And that's why, um, that's why I think it's going to take seven games for them to win.
2: But you are picking Sixers and seven.
3: I do. I think it's going to be one of those series where towards the end of it, maybe they even lose game six, but towards the end of it, Nick Nurse runs out of things to try against Embiid. And Embiid's just too good. Yeah. And I I think that there is, like, the, the Raptors, it's going to be hell. They're going to confuse him. There might be a game or two where he turns the ball over a bunch.
2: There will almost definitely be a game or two where he turns the ball over a bunch. I agree.
3: But to me, it's like, it's his moment, and it's, you know, it's funny coming off the Minnesota Timberwolves pretending they won a championship, which, of course, started a bunch of debates, which, by the way, I'll just say, I thought it was great that they celebrated like that. I thought some of the jokes were pretty funny too. I don't know. I don't, <laughs> Can be both. Can why can't we? Why can't we laugh? I don't yeah. Know. Uh, I do like to say it's it would be a a crowning achievement for Joel Embiid winning one series against Toronto. No, it wouldn't be. But but I do think like he's going to be the difference in a series where they they do have a lot of disadvantages in just the way Toronto matches yeah. up with them. Yeah. So I agree. Um, that's what I think.
2: I'm going to go Sixers in six and exercise some of those Scotiabank Ooh, Arena demons. Uh, I'm not sure I'd feel confident in game six, but I also feel like game seven is or a seven-game series is what you pick when you want to say toss-up, but you're sort of like leaning one way. I think the Sixers are significantly better. And I think as I have taken more and more time to think about it, I think they should win in a more convincing fashion than seven. That, does that mean I would feel, again, would I feel confident going into game six in Toronto? No.
3: But, but you wouldn't feel confident going into game seven in That's Philadelphia true. if it came That's to that.
2: true. We <laughs> know they can lose a game seven at home. We've seen it. So yeah, I'll, I will go Sixers and Six. I do think they're the better team. I do think this is a tough matchup for them. I do think Nick Nurse is a really good coach. One of the best in the league. But I think Joel Embiid is just good enough and just dominant enough. And just at that sort of intersection of his career, when the mental game and the preparedness combines with the physical tools and the athleticism still there where he should be head and shoulders, best player on the floor. Um, And I think when that happens, I think they will have a real good chance to win.
3: If he's the best player on the floor and they win in six, he better be doing the airplanes all around that (laughs) arena. He better be going up to individual fans and and (laughs) asking them to join in with the airplane celebration. It's uh, I mean, that would be something. Yeah, that place, man. That place is a house of horrors for this team, though. Yeah. They ne- they never win there.
2: No, and yeah, and obviously the one is front and center on everyone's mind. But Joel Embiid didn't play all that well up there in any of the games a couple years ago. Um, but I think he's in a better spot now.
3: It, it's true. It's another. It's another part of this too, where it, it would be cool to see him dominate a series because. You know, all we talked about from that series, and it was a huge part of it, was the the three minutes and the twelve points, and oh my god, Greg Monroe, and this is just a complete disaster. Joe I'm would really struggled offensively for the
2: three minutes and the twelve point podcast we will inevitably have at some point in this series.
3: The Raptors game ops should like they should put that on the scoreboard. <laughs> and beats out, like the crowd would go nuts. <laughs> they know yeah. they feasted on that. Arrangement more than anybody over the past couple of years. They just did it the other other week with B-ball Paul. Yeah. Well, we'll see. It should be fun. I. It's it's definitely. Yeah, I'm picking seven. You're picking six. If the Raptors press enough enough of those advantages, and Harden is is slow, creaky Harden, absolutely could be a loss. Absolutely. And look,
2: in the four games of this series, the Raptors won the fast break points by. Nearly 11 per game, and the second chance points by nearly nine per game. When you have a 20 point edge in those two categories, you can come over a lot of def- overcome a lot of deficiencies in the half court. Sixers have to do a better job of cleaning those two things up. They ha- they cannot turn the ball over and they cannot give away second chance points like they have to the Raptors at various points in the regular season. And I do think they should be a little sharper in the playoffs. I do think they should be a little sharper now that they have James Harden for all of those games, but the structural reasons that those advantages exist are still there for sure. Well, thank you, Rich, for jumping on. I hope I spoke slow enough so you could understand everything. And I already will- made that. I already made that you joke. Did. You,
3: you, did. you love the the closing monologue, basically. <laughs> I do. I get my so,
2: jokes in at the close. I do.
3: Yeah, to put them in.
2: But thank you for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon.
3: See you, man.